Welcome to Bible Time with Pastor Brian. This is, of course, your host, Pastor Brian. So, I want to thank you guys again for joining me here tonight, um, or today, or this morning, depending upon when you're listening to me, as we continue our march through the fruits of the Spirit, which actually tonight is our last study on the fruits of the Spirit. Um, as tonight we'll be covering two words, uh, like last week we covered one, or three, sorry, um, last week. So, we're actually moving verses tonight uh, to Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, instead of verse 22. And it says, Gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. So at first, that word gentleness is the word praoutes. Um, it's also connected to the word praotes, which is actually a different word entirely. I know kind of like tomato tomato almost in my brain but they are different words and they're spelled differently i've got the greek spelling right in front of me but they both mean the same thing they mean gentleness mildness and meekness uh, the kjv often translates this word to meek or meekness depending upon the context that's being used in so uh, some of the other passages that this word pops up in in the same context you have first corinthians 421 when paul is asking the corinthians if they would rather him be aggressive or gentle 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul speaks of Christ's meekness and gentleness and his own meekness and gentleness as well. In Galatians 6.1, so just a few verses after this, um, Paul talks about restore with a spirit of gentleness when a fellow brother or believer stumbles. In Ephesians 4.2, Paul speaks of gentleness as walking in a manner worthy of their calling. Then in 1 Timothy 6.11, the encouragement to pursue gentleness, among other things, instead of money. 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul instructs Timothy to correct people with gentleness. Titus 3.2, uh, Paul talks about showing gentleness toward all men. And then a couple of the other New Testament authors mention it with James in 121, where he says we are to receive God's word with humility, which is the same Greek word um, as meekness, gentleness, mildness there. And then James 3.13 says wise men are to show it by the good behavior and gentleness of wisdom. Excuse me, having a little bit of allergy issues tonight. And then Peter also mentions that in 1 Peter 3.15, uh, we, are, we are to be ready to explain our reason of our hope in Christ with gentleness and reverence. So what does it mean to be gentle? According to Webster's Dictionary, it means to be free from harshness, sternness, or violence. But in order to understand gentleness or being gentle, one, I think, must understand what it means to not be gentle or practice gentleness. And there are three things specifically that I have written down here that I think go hand in hand with this idea. And the first one is no integrity, second one, no courage, and the third one, no confrontation. So first off, no integrity. Many think that in order to be gentle, you must be you must compromise on your morals and beliefs to keep the peace per se. Sometimes the only way to bring peace is to usher out what is calling for strife, such as removing someone from church leadership position or from the body entirely. Being gentle in that situation is possible, as you, in kindness and love, explain the error, detail the decision, and remind the member or members, in whichever case it is, that reconciliation is possible, but as for now, discipline is necessary and needed in order to stop the damage being caused for the health of the body itself. 
So you can still have integrity and still stand up for your beliefs and for what is right and what is good and righteous, um, especially if you were in a church leadership position, without being hateful and without being angry, but while also practicing good gentleness here. And then I mentioned also no courage as being another one. Um, it's it's not only possible to do this, but it's actually part of our duty as Christians, you know, to be courageous and to be gentle. Just because someone is practicing gentleness, it does not mean that courage is not present. Um, a lot of people think that courage, like courageousness and gentleness are antithetical, or at least too far removed from each other to be included in the same sentence, talking about the same person at the same time. But they're not, I think. In fact, true gentleness or meekness really comes with a reliance on Christ and a submission to Him. So when He calls us to do something that requires courage, we must follow that calling in gentleness and in meekness after His authority and after His directive. So being gentle does not mean being afraid of everything. It means relying on the one who holds everything in His hands, remaining humble and following Him into whatever He is calling us into. So courage and um Gentleness definitely do work together there. And then the third one is no confrontation. You know, bringing integrity and courage together, confrontation is essential in our walks with Christ. So how does it mesh well with gentleness? Since confrontation is essential, it is equally essential to handle confrontation with a gentle disposition. Anytime it is necessary, there are no doubt going to be strong feelings present. It is the job of the Christian to lessen those as much as possible and share in the love of Christ the reasons for the confrontation and the possible courses for reconciliation in that situation. This cannot be achieved in a Christ-like manner without showing gentleness and meekness. So, people talk about being non-confrontational. And in all honesty, I'm the type of person that's not confrontational. I don't like confrontation. I don't like um, having to go to somebody and explain an error that they have committed or I even sometimes apologize for an error that I've committed. And hard conversations are difficult. And I'd say most people are in that same boat, where it's really hard to give yourself the courage to uh, have those conversations and to sit in on those situations. But if we are to be true followers of Jesus, those conversations are necessary sometimes, especially from a church leadership position, like a pastor or a youth pastor or a deacon or... Some churches have elders as well, and it's really important for them to practice confrontation, but do so in a way that is gentle. And like I said, it's kind of like with you know, being courageous. You would think that gentleness and courageousness and then gentleness and being confrontational are not compatible with each other. Well, I would actually argue that being confrontational is not compatible. There's a difference between having to do a confrontation and being confrontational. You're confrontational, you're looking out for situations in order to be confrontational and to exercise your ability to con uh, confront somebody. But being able to confront somebody requires a level of strength as well as a level of humility and a level of gentleness and meekness in uh, the same way that Christ um, shows us that meekness and gentleness and commands us to be so. So, going back to the meaning of being gentle, my personal opinion here, taking all of these definitions into account that we've already talked about and all these things that it is not, it means to be loving, 
considerate, and mild-mannered, even in the face of anger, bitterness, and hatred, and to keep sharing the truth courageously. You can do all of those things and still be practicing gentleness. The second word that we have mentioned here is self-control. And the actual Greek word behind it is the word inkrataia, which the KJV, um, specifically in this verse, translates it to the word temperance, which makes sense. Being able to temper yourself or to temper your desires is part of being in self-control. The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions is the definition that Strong's gives for it. And so, uh, a couple places where it actually appears, you have one in Acts 24-25, it's the interaction between Paul and Felix, where he interrupts Paul's teaching on self-control. And then in 2 Peter 1-6, you have self-control springing from knowledge, and that leads to perseverance. The root word of, or the root word of the one we talked about a second ago, is um, inkretes, and it appears in Titus 1.8 when giving the required characteristics of a bishop or an overseer. So the idea of being temperate is something that is very well talked about in the New Testament. So how does someone exercise this self-control? One is you need to realize the things you have trouble controlling about yourself. So if you struggle with lust, or if you struggle with greed, or if you struggle with anger, or with gossip, or with lying, etc., could go on and on. If you struggle with those things, realize that you struggle with those things. Be honest with yourself. Don't say, ah, oh, well, um, kind of speaking on the lust one, it's like, ah, oh, I catch a glance every now and then, or it's not hurting anybody if I just, you know, look at this person or look at that person. Not hurting anyone, it's just harmless looking, right? No. No, it's not. And if you're to the point where you're calling it harmless looking, it's probably harming you quite a bit. And you're just trying to justify the harm that it is doing to you. And then the next one that I mentioned here is greed. So anytime you have trouble controlling your lust for money and your desire to earn more and to take advantage of other people or to cheat or to steal or to lie... In order to get more money, <clears throat> those things, you need to realize that. You need to be honest with yourself when those moments present themselves and when you fe have those feelings of greed. Then anger, you ought not lie to yourself about having angry feelings either. So when it comes to that, you need to be honest there too. And then gossip. Um, I know in some places this is more of a problem than others. And with some people, it's more of a problem than it is with others. But I think we all are guilty at some point of gossiping and it can become really easy to gossip sometimes and you just kind of gloss it over with just informing somebody of a situation or um, the old baptist joke of oh i'm just sharing a prayer request but those things are bad now, those things are very bad and then lying of course definitely bad so when you realize that you have these feelings what's the next thing you need to do second thing you need to do is you need to find ways to avoid those things. You know, um, when it comes to lust, if you have a problem with like scrolling through on your phone and you see a picture or you see any type of image or a video, keep scrolling. Just keep, just keep scrolling. Don't stop. Don't sit there and think, oh, 
Well, maybe if I just look for a second. No, keep scrolling, because you'll find yourself stuck there for, like, minutes on end, and sometimes a longer longer time than that, focusing on it on the image or on that video and obsessing over it, if, you, if lust is something that you struggle with. And then, going back to the whole idea of gossiping, if it isn't your business, don't make it your business. Even if you've heard about it and you're concerned about it, tell your spouse. Tell it to the Lord. Pray about it. Maybe even talk to that person and say, hey, I've heard about this. Is there any way I can help? Is there any way I can pray for you? And mean it honestly and gen like genuinely, not just trying to like feel around for more information or to just have somebody to vent to when it comes to your spouse. Just If it's something that doesn't concern you, don't make it concern you, essentially. And when it comes to lying, <clears throat> sometimes lying can look like the best option or the most safe option, I guess. But in those cases, telling the truth is even more important than in any other case because the truth is something that is always important, yes. But in that situation, it's more important because the truth that is being shared is one that could cause um, that person to turn around from a dangerous situation or to realize the sin that they've been committing and maybe not fully comprehended how far they've fallen into it. Being a liar or just being somebody that tells half-truths just to try to keep the peace, that's no good. That's no good at all. That's just as bad as lying. So tell somebody the truth, even when it costs you something. Even if it costs you that peace between that person for a moment or even if it costs you that friendship, ultimately, because that does happen sometimes. Just tell the truth, <clears throat> even when it costs you something. And then when it comes to the whole idea about greed, don't just do things because you think you're going to get something in return. Do things just out of the kindness and goodness of your heart. And if you do get something out of return, or out return from it, great. That's, that's nice. But don't expect that every time. Sometimes it'll happen. Sometimes it won't. And that's okay. And we need to be okay with that. That not getting a reward for something doesn't mean we did it poorly or did a bad job or didn't do what the Lord commanded us to do. Sometimes the reward is just being obedient and seeing the result of that obedience through impacting other people's lives and seeing how the word and the truth changed them through what God has called you to do. Sometimes that's the reward. And that's okay. We should be okay with that. And also... Avoid places and people that prompt you towards something you struggle with controlling. Don't say, well, I'm just going to go there to be a witness to these people and to show them that it is possible to defeat this addiction and to defeat this struggle or to defeat this or to defeat that. That's a noble thought to have. But in some cases, it can be quite the novice one to have. Because if it's something that you're still struggling with, why unnecessarily expose yourself to it just to show off that you are able to conquer it because i can guarantee you what's going to happen is one of two things you're either going to go there to that place or be in that situation or be around those people that prompt you towards something you struggle with and you're going to fall into the temptation to actually commit the action or you're going to take almost like a holier than thou attitude by being around them and saying, oh, look at me, I used to struggle with this, and now I don't. Look how amazing and awesome I am. That's not the mentality we should take at all. We should be careful with where we go, be careful with what we say, be careful with what we do. 
And if you find yourself in one of those situations, by no choice of your own, it just kind of happens, and you have the ability to be faithful, do, do that. Be faithful and show what the Lord has done in you and through you, not as an opportunity to show off yourself and to boast about yourself because, you know, we can't boast about anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. And why is all of this important? If you aren't controlling your selfish, sinful passions and desires, you're not living a life dedicated to Christ. There's no way you can be. Because in order to live a life in tune with God, and following after um, Jesus Christ and the example that he gives us and the direction that he points us towards, <clears throat> in order to do that, we have to sacrifice our fleshly self and our fleshly desires in order to follow after Jesus. Because our fleshly desires and our fleshly self are always at war with our spiritual self, with our um, the the new man, I guess you could say. We're, we're at war there between the two. And so because of that, you need not give in to your sinful passions and desires. You need to avoid those things at all costs. And when you recognize where they are, it's easier to avoid them. So it's almost like if you're walking into a store, and let's say they've just mocked, but they didn't put out a wet floor sign. How are you going to know that the floor is wet? You're going to look at it? Maybe. Most of us don't even think about it, though. And we would probably slip and fall in the water. Well, backtrack a little bit. Let's say they mopped the floor and they put a couple signs up that said, Hey, caution, wet floor. Well, when you walk in, you might not see the water on the floor. But if you're paying any type of attention, you're going to see the sign that's sitting there saying that this part of the floor is wet. So guess what you're going to do? You're going to avoid it, unless you just want to fall. And you don't want to fall. <clears throat> Same thing goes with our sin. When you recognize and you know where those situations are that prompt you and give you more temptation and more struggles about that, um, about that sin, it becomes easier to avoid it. It becomes easier to walk away when you can see the blatant like flashing sign saying, hey, this is something you struggle with. You probably need to go a different direction. You probably need to find something else to do. Because if you come in here, you're going to regret it. You're going to fail. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. And some of us might be proud of ourselves and say, no, no, no. I'm too good of a Christian to do that. And I would advise you that that is a dangerous thought to have. Because the second that you think yourself better than you are, the harder that fall is going to be. Because you're not as strong as you think you are. And so because you're not as strong as you think you are, you need to avoid those situations at all costs. Stay away from them. And if you can't stay away from them, lean on Jesus the entire time you're in there. Don't try to put your walk with Christ on hold and say, Lord, I'm just going to do this this one time, and then I'll quit. Then I'll stop. Because you're going to tell yourself that every single time that you do it. Every single time that you face that situation, you're going to say the same thing. Lord, just give me this one more time, and then I'll turn towards you. Then I'll start following after you. Then I'll quit it. You're always going to do that, and you're never going to quit. So it's better to not start it to begin with. And so, to live for Christ is to die to self. If your fleshly self is alive and thriving, your spirit is dead and ineffective. A true Christian, as in a true follower of Christ, will be repentant when they sin, because they understand what cause sin is attached to. And you know, you can actually go to Romans 6.23 and see that. It talks about the wages of sin being death. 
you know, Jesus paid the debt of sin that we had acquired because we could not pay it ourselves. And all sin brings death. Sin, not just big things. They, it is so bad that Jesus had to die for it. And also God is so gracious that he made a way for us to be forgiven of this horrible, terrible sin. You know, so many people think God to be evil, God to be a bad judge, and to be just this horrible, terrible um, deity that sends people to hell for no reason. But consider this. We would not consider a judge to be evil for following the law and giving someone a sentence worthy of their crimes. We would applaud that. We would say, yes, justice has been rightly served in that case. But see, we understand that. But why do we question God when he does that? Why do we question his goodness when he enacts a just punishment upon someone? I think it boils down to two things. And I've actually heard one of my favorite YouTube pastors, I guess you could call him, um, named Mike Winger, if you ever want to check him out. This whole idea that I'm about to share with you actually comes from him, where it says, for one, we don't fully comprehend how bad our sin actually is, in the fact that all sin, not just the big ones like murder or anything like that, just the tiniest little things like lying, and um, even if it's a little quote-unquote white lie, no matter what it is, it's worthy of death. Wages of sin is death. And so because of that, that sin needed a huge payment to pay it off. No matter what sins you've committed in your life, it was still a payment and a punishment worthy of death that was pronounced upon you. And so when we fully comprehend that, we actually get to see how good God is in that moment. Because the second part of it is we don't fully comprehend just how merciful God is concerning our sins because we don't fully understand and comprehend just how bad our sin is sometimes. And so when you realize this, self-control becomes easier to do. It also becomes easier to practice gentleness when you realize just how much you have been forgiven of. And just like Paul mentions right at the end of this passage that we just read, all of these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. Continue to be patient. Continue to be good. Continue to be faithful. Continue to exercise self-control. And more than anything, more importantly than anything, keep following after the Lord Jesus Christ. God in heaven, as we come before you today, we're just so humbled and grateful and thankful for everything you've given us. And uh, I thank you, God, for giving me the ability to get through this podcast. On um, You know, I've been struggling with this allergy issue and everything. And, um, I thank you, God, for giving me the ability to get through this tonight. And I hope that my voice hasn't been too distracting. And I pray that you would let your holy word and holy message shine through um, the poor, pitiful self that I am. Um, and I pray, God, that the message that you had for us here through this passage was shared and Anything that I tried to add to it, God, I pray that you just remove it right now. Let your pure and holy and true word shine through to each and every person listening to this podcast here today. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we do humbly pray. Amen. Thank you all again. And I will see you next week.